Well, welcome. Uh, in case I haven't met you yet, my name is Eric Colstar. I serve as the pastor here at GCC. Again, appreciate everyone who uh, uh, braved the horrendous weather out there to be able to make it this morning. Uh, and I uh, appreciate everybody who is watching online, uh, whether it be because of the horrendous weather uh, or uh, because of being sick. Uh, but again, uh, glad that you are with us in corporate worship with us today as we wrap up our series on the importance of biblical hospitality. Um, in fact, if you have your Bibles, I know this series is a little bit different than the series that we usually go through with books of the Bible verse by verse, uh, but we're going to be in a couple different passages today. If you have your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 10 uh, and just kind of hold your finger there, or if it's a phone or a tablet, just uh, kind of keep your place right there. I want to remind everyone before we get into uh, the message in the text um, that if you are new or if you've been a uh, regular attender and member, uh, just uh, if, we, uh, if you have any prayer requests or if you have any questions about our church or even the sermon here today, uh, there are these uh, welcome cards uh, that are in the pew right in front of you. Uh, if you can't find one, they're also on the uh, black high tabletops uh, with the offering boxes by each one of the exits. Uh, feel free to grab one. Again, fill it out. Uh, especially if you are new, uh, we'd love to be able to get to know you, uh, see if we can answer questions uh, for you uh, about our church. But uh, also, if you have any prayer requests, whether they be praises, updates, um, some kind of burdens, uh, people that we would love to lift up for you, we keep them um, just between our church staff, and our church staff will uh, pray for each one of those tomorrow, and then we'll tear them up, rip them up. Um, taking them before the Lord. And again, whether that be following up or that, love to be able to uh, just uh, shepherd the sheep and pray for you guys. So uh, please do that and hand it to us or put it in the offering box. Um, we started a few weeks ago uh, this series on hospitality, welcoming with the gospel. Uh, Connor Woods, who's over our students in media, did an amazing job uh, setting it up uh, with uh, uh, what that looks like according to scripture, both Old Testament and then specifically also with Jesus's own words and his life. And so he gave a great, great picture of what biblical hospitality looks like. Uh, these uh, other two weeks, like last week and this week, uh, this is kind of the more practical side of it. Uh, he did a great job, again, setting up the worldview according to scripture, what hospitality looks like. And so last week we talked about what that means and looks like through the body of Christ, through the church, how important that is for us to be welcoming and strangers, uh, turning them into and viewing them as neighbors and praying and hoping that they will become family, the household of God. And again, how important that is through whether it be Sunday morning corporate worship, uh, uh, in community groups, and just as a church as a whole, what that looks like, how God uses that. Uh, today, as I had mentioned to you guys, uh, last week, today is a little bit personal. Uh, this is how the, God uses this in your very own homes. Uh, whether that be a college student with roommates, uh, a single by yourself, uh, married, family, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, how God can be able to use that in your homes. And so I asked you guys last week to really pray about that because again, it's uh, one thing to be able to know and be encouraged to greet somebody at church. It's another thing to invite them into your home, right? Um, and we always feel and think that, oh, the people that are gifted, that are extroverts are to do that. No, this is a command for every single believer, although it looks different for some people in comparison to others. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? So before we get into some of the text, I do want to 
just get the elephants out of the room and share why this is scary, uh, what it's tempted for us to do with our homes instead of what Scripture kind of shares, reveals, or view others in that way. Uh, First off, we do know it is very tempting to treat our home like a bubble, right? To be overprotective, and I'm not just talking about the parents with kids, although that is true as well, but I'm talking about just having your home set up to be that safe house, that refuge. It's tempting to build the walls or home-wise fences even higher and view our home as a castle and believe that since the world is just going uh, uh, it, it is it's just going astray. It's, it's going downhill. And we need to instead get inside, thank God for the moat over that castle, and just have our littles in our home draw up the bridge and treat it as nothing but that sanctuary. That we, even as Christians, are at war with the world and therefore need to protect our little home, our apartment from it. And listen, that type of warfare does not drive out the darkness that needs hospitable light to drive it out. In fact, that kind of view and mindset will often betray our faith as it will be more known to be hollow, selfish, and even powerless if you're not willing to open up in that way. And again, I've thought about this a lot as one who grew up in a home that needed more protection and refuge. And knowing I'm called as a father to protect my family and children from harm. And so for one who grew up in a very dysfunctional home, seeing way too much and being exposed to way too much at a young age that Satan used, and one who knows biblical role for me as husband and father, it is tempting for me to view my home in this way. But also as a parent, I've realized my kids need to see that I don't just preach from the pulpit a ministry to the lost and love the neighbor when they're at church, but don't practice it in our home. Or for you being at a church that says this all of the time, repeats that mission statement, sees it and points everyone, including your kids, to the Bible concerning it. And if we're not doing it at home, they recognize that. They witness us on the other side, coming alongside those who are struggling, falling under the weight of sin and tragedy, giving grace to the people that are messy. Not only do they realize and recognize how important it is, but they will see and believe. And listen, this is very, very important. They will receive that same grace when their lives are messy and they are struggling with sin. Not only are you consistent, but I receive that same grace And I don't have to be fake and hide certain things because I see their love for those who are messy. In fact, my oldest teen is open to me because she knows my heart for the lost messy and the willingness to let them in 
while trying to help them. Not keep them struggling, but my willingness to help them. And I have thanked God often that she's so open. And I know, as she has said, because I see your heart for that in others. And I've seen tons of teens after working in student ministry for well over a decade who are not open to their parents who have the view of us against the world not practicing this in their home because when they see that we have messy people over we love on them we help them especially the difficult one and they realize they can let us in on their messes listen it is true it's true i'm not only experiencing it but i've seen it in student ministry for well over a decade it's important for us to not just treat our homes like a bubble and overprotect. And then to the other side, the temptation. To have a home, to have a family, to have a lifestyle that conforms to the world. To reinvent a Christianity that fits nicely with the coexist bumper stickers, right? Avoiding the disgrace and shame of the cross of Jesus for instead a respectable religion that bows to the idols of today, idols such as consumerism or sexual autonomy, even using biblical words and anti-biblical ways, like allowing love to be an acceptance of sin in the world's view of love. You may even share the same vocabulary as biblical Christian Christianity, but you do not share the same definitions of biblical Christianity. When you have a home that conforms to the world with things that it calls sin, but you willingly accept and therefore teach to the others around you, whether that be roommates or your kids. And similar to what I briefly shared and would say more about in Rosaria Butterfield's testimony, we need to be willing to open up our lives, our homes with strangers and sinners while they know we don't accept sin, but accepting and loving them. Because, listen, it is not our home in the first place. That's not. Just like this is not our church, right? This is God's church. And that is God's home. And these strangers that we hope and pray to become neighbors, that we hope and pray to become family, should have some type of seat at God's table, here and there. And listen, the next scripture is challenging, especially for the makeup of our church and the makeup of our homes. But it's true. Again, Mark chapter 10, starting off with verse 28. God's word says this, talking to Jesus. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or a mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel and who will not receive a hundredfold now 
in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now again, we're going to focus on that scripture right there. I am going to read the rest just for full context right here. But we'll focus on those verses right there. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. (laughs) And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. This passage shows true family is the church. That when those who count the cost and give their life to Christ, many of them are giving up everything, including their community, their homes, some of their family. That the person who leaves houses, lands, and family For Jesus' sake, not just here, but also in chapter 8, verse 35 of Mark. And Matthew 5, 11, Luke 12, and chapter 18. Some of those, the same exact situation right here, just retold by another apostle or disciple. Some in other hard situations where Jesus had said, the household of God is their true family. And you're going to make... People are going to make such sacrifices in counting the cost that there has to be room for them because of what they're losing. And so when that person leaves house, lands, family for Jesus' sake and for the gospel can expect in this life, now, in this time, they should be able to expect to enjoy fellowship with other believers and to find a welcome in the houses and lands of other believers, knowing that such hospitality and such views, it reaps an even better reward as the end of verse 30 says. Look at what it says. Eternal rewards. Those who do this and then find a home in the church and the household of God, they will now receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, even with persecutions, in the age to come, eternal life. There are lost and struggling strangers and neighbors that they will hear, see, taste, and feel authentic Christianity spreading from our homes and views of them becoming family, which includes a hospitality where they see how we pray, how we break bread, how we practice friendship and other child care and other life-sharing sacrificial ways. You take even those who struggle, certain sins, certain temptations. You, You take the example even of people who struggle with same-sex attraction. What has sadly been a great example of those two extremities of the average Christian, the average church, has practiced either fully condemning or somehow accepting. But those who struggle with 
unchosen at the time, desires and longings and sensibilities. And we offer what we hope to become family. Again, not sacrificing what Scripture has to say about sin, but then not condemning like we have in the past. We offer what we hope to become true community. When the world offers community just in longing and desires, and we offer in Christ alone. And there is still, with Christian conversion, an exchange for the life you once loved, not in addition to it, counting the cost and losing that life, but gaining Christ in a sufficient family that he is given now and the responsibility we have with those people and others that need a family and home because they've lost their family and community, as Mark 10 reveals. If you want to see true Christian conversion and life change, then our gospel must come with a house key that is willing to make them family as well. A covenant that's made with God but includes us opening up our lives, becoming family, God used it for them to come to Christ and now to covenantly keep people there. And we know that only comes through the gospel. Your home is a sanctuary for your family, but it's also a missional outpost and should be used as a sanctuary for others as well. And again, man, how God uses that with those who are in your home as well, whether that be roommates, whether that be kids, God uses that. I'll never forget how much God used that by God's grace by the time that I married my wife, Jessica. Her mom was in social services in Southern Kentucky for a long, long time. In fact, worked her way up where she was a social worker to being the head of social services in Southern Kentucky after getting her doctorate. And I'll never forget the stories that both her and her mom would tell of certain kids that would age out of the foster care that would come over for Thanksgivings, for Christmases, and the messiness that sometimes was involved with that. Not tied with a pretty bow every single time, allowing some kids, some people into their home. But with her mom's burden, always still having an open home like that. And where that bled through to my wife, where by the time we started our own family and went into ministry, by God's grace, seeing her having the same, not only desires, but home like that. How God used that. And similar to what Rosaria Butterfield had said, and I, I read a quote from last week. If you know anything about my wife, Jessica, she is not the extrovert, okay? That is me. She is an introvert. But experiencing seeing that, recognizing its importance, she may be the first person I've met that's an introvert with the gift of hospitality. And then you take that experience of what she grew up with her mom in foster care, by God's grace, he's used it wonderfully for us to be able to have an open home in that way. 
fact, I couldn't but help to think of a situation that happened not too long ago this year when we had teenagers in our home. And one particular teenager who had mentioned, I heard her talking to an adult leader and saying to that adult leader, how hard yet, this is what she said, how hard yet weird and appealing it was to be in a home with parents, with kids and teens that all get along. Like mentioned, I usually wouldn't want to be around little kids, but seeing everybody interact with the little kids and then the family and, and just, she said, this is hard for me because I don't have this at my house, but oh, how I would want to have this even if it would be me starting that for the future. I overheard her saying this to an adult leader. It's true. It's needed. So how do we do this? How do we do this? I'll get back into some scripture after explaining some of these things. But one, we can do this short term. That's whether it's adding people in, having them come over for certain reasons, weekly, monthly, quarterly, or again, for some, it's just taking the step, and maybe that's once or twice a year, inviting people into our home and into our lives. Because our home is our life to a certain extent. So for some, it's the short-term kind of commitment, obeying that command by having people into our home, open up our lives, whether that be a weekly, a monthly, a quarterly, or even again, once or twice a year. Both Lost strangers and Christians in community. Everything from college students to singles, to those who we know and see when the needs are there, those who are struggling, and making a place for them to come, checking in, just offering a home. It can be as simple as not even attachments like that, but allowing people to use our place as a study place for college students to come to do the laundry instead of having to wait downtown with a billion people before them. Moms getting together for playtime. And do not be afraid, I'd even encourage, to use a meal. doesn't have to be a full course, three course meal. It could be just anything and everything from desserts. But oh, again, how God uses meals and food in these situations. In fact, the getting together to share life like this in hospitality over food is a universal cultural bond. You realize that, right? Every country I've ever visited, one of the easiest ways to connect is over food, even with a language barrier, right? From the Last Supper to the continued Lord's Supper that was started off in the early house churches over a meal, not a stale cracker and now Welch grape juice, okay? Over a meal where they said, remember these things that Christ did for us. In fact, Rosaria Butterfield talks about this and the importance of a meal in hospitality. I want to read it to you. She said, Kent and I, her husband, practice daily hospitality as a way of life because we must remember what it's like to be lonely. We remember the odd contradiction to be told on the Lord's Day that you're part 
of the family of God, but then to limp along throughout the rest of the long week like an orphan begging for bread. And we know that chronic loneliness can kill people and destroy their hope and faith. And therefore, we believe that the Bible's high calling for singleness compels us to live in a community when we can to feast nightly on meals and scripture and prayer with our doors wide open. In fact, she points out fasting, a discipline of the faith, and I'm going to read scripture about this in a moment here, is best broken with what? A communal meal and prayer. We believe that the blood of Christ is thicker than the blood of water and daily hospitality, gathering church and neighbors is a daily grace. And again, this is for her, but that could mean weekly, monthly, even taking steps of a few times a year. She says, we believe that radical, ordinary hospitality depends on the family of God, knowing where to gather, knowing how to be organic and spontaneous with scripture and open arms. And we do it because... The purpose of radical, ordinary hospitality is to take the hand of a stranger, to put it in the hand of, of the Savior, and to bridge hostile worlds so we can add to the family of God. And so we, the well-known conservative Christians on the block, we run a house that from the outside looks like a Christian commune. We don't believe that this is excessive. We believe that this is what the Bible calls normal. We believe that Christians are called to live as the family of God, to draw neighbors, to draw strangers in with food that comes with a bended knee. And that God will beseech grace to pour out on those who do not yet know the Lord, to encourage and uplift those who do. And lock arms together we must. Because Christians are not lone rangers. And often he uses the meal as a gift of his grace to show that. It is important for us to find ways, whether it be meals or other things, to open up our homes and lives with others. And we have people at our church that has done an amazing job of this. I think of some of our college leaders, like the Jones and Prudens and Curseys, that have done this not only with college students, but others so, so well. At times, letting people live with them, and at times, just having them over. How has gone a long, long way with those people? We do this short-term, weekly, monthly, quarterly, even twice a year, inviting people into our home. Second way, if God leads you to, is we do this a little bit more long-term. And what that means and looks like, although you may not have viewed this as a hospitality thing, it is. But we do this ongoing when we mentor, when we disciple, when we foster, and we adopt. We do that when it's more ongoing. When we're mentoring regularly, meeting with someone. When we disciple, and there is curriculum involved, but also we're opening up our lives so they see how we are in our marriages or our families or in the things that we do as hobbies and work or when we are feeling led to the, by the Lord to actually bring somebody in and fostering and adopting. Never forget John Piper said this about adoption. The deepest and strongest foundation of adoption is located not in the act of humans adopting humans but in God adopting humans. And this act is not part of his ordinary providence in the world, but it is at the heart of the gospel.
Again, God uses that. Talk about ultimate example, welcoming a stranger into a home. But now, to have you come in as I am now calling you my child and your brothers and sisters are calling you their brother and sister. And I've quoted some of these statistics before, but even for being a, a fairly small church and knowing that a little less than half of our church with families have done this, either adopted or fostered. I know we have a culture of that. Praise God. Again, do you know how much of a long, how long of a way that goes? Not only to those kids and, and, and seeds that are being planted, but to others around us. I praise God that we're part of a church that truly lives that out. I've said this again before, but one of the number one rebukes of the pro-choice agenda is that Christians care so much about life in the womb, but not about life outside of it, that if they truly care, then why aren't they adopting? Why aren't they fostering those babies? Well, by God's grace, on the west side of Lexington, we are. That can't be used against many. And I praise God for you, because as hard as that is, it truly represents a gospel light and adoption to an unbelieving world. Because remember, family doesn't just illustrate God's family, but it's an actual representation of God's family and the gospel. It's again, what we do, even in our view when it comes to refugees, won't go into details here because we covered this a little bit in Imago Day, but some who need a home the most, but more than that, they need the household of God. And the Christians answering certain calls in that area. And third, we support others who do this. Because we know not everybody, although called to participate in this command of hospitality as believers, not everyone is in, whether it be a season or a lifestyle that can be able to do this. And what does that mean then? Does that mean that you don't do it? No. It means that you are able to support others who do this. Some of you will go through seasons where, listen, you will be the host, and some of you will go through seasons where you are the house guest. But we're all called to somehow be a part of this. And if you're not able to, whether because of some, some specific things that you know with family or, or other things and travel, then we're still called to support others who do this. Encourage those who do it. Give to them. Pay for stuff. You hear about the family that takes in college kids every single week. Tell them, hey, take this gift card to Kroger because I know your grocery bill has to be triple of what mine is and I got five kids. Not me, I don't have five kids. So don't go to Jessica thinking, oh, congratulations or anything like that. But support them in any way you can, even if that's just regularly praying for them. And again, I know it's tough. I know it's awkward. It can be uncomfortable. 
getting together with people of different opinions and different worldviews, how much easier and safer this would be if you just look through the church directory. Do we even have that? I don't think we have that. Or going through the Instagram, Facebook account and seeing who follows the page and saying, oh, I see eye to eye with this person. Oh, politically, I get along with this person real well. But we're not called to what's just convenient and safe. Said it's the straight and narrow, the hard and risky. We're called to make sacrifices, similar to fasting when it's often broken with a meal together, which Isaiah differentiated between false and true fasts with recognition of bringing the struggling, the suffering, the poor into our home. He, in fact, describes this with such great blessings afterward for that type of hospitable life and obedience. Look at Isaiah 58, starting off with verse 6, as he differentiates between true and false fasting, what this has to do with hospitality and the blessings that come. Look at 58, verse 6. It says, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke and burden. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? It's a view of Imago Day right there. Now look at the fruit, the blessings that comes from this type of spirit, mindset, hospitable heart and action. Verse 8. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. You know where I told you it's tempting for me to say because of my, what I grew up with, and what I know I'm supposed to as a husband, dad, to protect for me to make my home into a castle? Well, that verse right there is the exact opposite. That is what I want my home to be when I open it to others. And I see and allow my kids to see that as well. And I know fully well that fruit comes amongst thistles and weeds, that it won't be easy. Going back to last week, dealing with people, people are messy. 
I'll never forget when I became the parent, the legal custodian of a 17, 18 year old senior in high school at the age of 22 in an apartment with only six months to get married. I'll never forget a student I used to disciple that was adopted and for reasons I won't go into details with, those, those adopted parents begged and asked me to take him in because he was gonna get back into the foster care unless somebody took him in. And knowing that he had done well in his life the couple years I'd met with him, begged me to adopt, to be his legal custodian until after he graduated and before he went off to boot camp into the army. And so six months before getting married, I took in and was a parent of a 17-year-old boy at the age of 22. And as hard as it was, trying to, again, be a parent, discipline, having a curfew, helping out with homework, just trying to get him back involved in church and following Christ again as he had shown before but was not at the time. And it didn't end well in that season. I mean, three weeks before he was supposed to go to boot camp, he left taking money from me and didn't hear from him, couldn't reach out to him, couldn't find him. Until years later, when he calls me crying, already in the army, by God's grace at that time, God used some things for him to truly repent, start walking with the Lord. And he calls me, repenting and saying, I'm so sorry for how I left you. I'm so sorry for not listening. But I do want to tell you, man, now that I'm your age, 22, and I was 25, to know that you let me in your house for that time. What I did to you, but that you would do that. He said, God used that to show me what a Christian is. So he repented. And he was living for the Lord again. Yes, that was hard, just like opening up our homes is hard with family, with kids, with singles, with others, and roommates. But oh, the fruit. Remember its purpose. It looks different than the world because our motive and fruit is spiritual. And because it's spiritual, there is warfare. Expect it, risk it, be obedient in it, and expect the joy and fruit as well. And to conclude, just want to mention two last things with this. One, let me remind you, is we have a culture here of living, sharing life together because of just what we do in what we call community groups. And that is uh, different people opening up their homes, leaders taking what Sunday messages are, learning how to apply it to our lives together. But then more than that, being there for each other as a group, praying for each other, helping each other with certain needs. Let me encourage you. If you are not a part of a community group, let me encourage you to try out one. There are signups in the back. There's some available online. Of course, we know you can find community outside of what we have here, but we feel strongly that it is important. We need to have some type of system process and simulation for people to be in that. And oh, how God uses that even for you to be that personally now to the stranger and neighbor. So check that out. Second, last of all, I just want to mention this because she talked a lot about this and I couldn't but help to think of it as well. With this, although anyone and everyone is called commanded to do this, no matter what you believe, no matter what season life, 
But one thing she mentioned that I couldn't but help to also mention and affirm, because it is a conviction of our church, which I say conviction, that doesn't mean you even have to be a member to believe this. But what we talked about, even going through the book of 1 Corinthians and what we believe about marriage in the home and complementarianism, something that the world really goes against. Again, you don't have to be married. You don't have to be a parent to be hospitable. You don't. But one thing she mentioned that really stuck out here was when she had a young professional age girl that went through eye surgery where she thought she could just be able to go home and tough it out. And this girl realized she can't. In fact, she needed a month and a half, somebody to take care of her. And so she took her in for a month and a half and took care of her. And about halfway through that, this girl kind of broke down and said, why did you do this? How did you do this? And she said, oh, I'm going to be honest, it's Jesus, but it's because I can, because of what she was believed as a stay-at-home mom that believed what she did and being able to be at a home. And she had said, I mean, remember, this was a former professor from Syracuse in LGBTQ theory. She said, all my former friends and even other Christians think, I mean, that's offensive to the world to say that I felt called to be a stay-at-home mom, to put my family and be a homemaker. But she said, I wouldn't be able to do what she wrote about in here and even that testimony to that girl if it wasn't for that. Now, you do not have to be a stay-at-home mom, homemaker to be hospitable. In fact, the Bible shows it's a command to all. But let me share that those who do feel convicted by that, in that and steps with that, Oh, how God will greatly use that when you think of beyond your husband and family and others to enter into that as well. And you have opportunity like others don't as well. Use it. Let's pray. Jesus, again, we thank you so much, not just for your word, but of course salvation that comes through what the word reveals and the gospel that your son came down to die on the cross to take the sin that separates us from you, a covenant and relationship with you, what we were created for, how you died on the cross, rose from the grave, and offered as a gift of grace for us to receive through repentance and saving faith in you, to not only be a part of your family, come into your home, but to now live that out in the temporary, momentary time that we have here for others. To create that in our very own homes, but to extend that. And God, I pray we do that as a church, but then also in our very own homes. And that there will be great fruit that will come from it. Fruit as described in Isaiah 58. Light that will break forth like the dawn, that will heal. Light that will rise into the darkness. Homes that will be rebuilt. Foundations being laid for generations to come. A restorer of the streets to dwell in. God, I pray again that you use such sacrifices and such obedience for both here and those who are considered strangers to become neighbors. 
become the household of God. We thank you for being our living hope. I pray that we take steps to be the hands and feet of that through our lives and homes. We pray this in your name, Jesus.